From crypto winter to crypto geopolitics, from ChatGPT to AI avatars, from zero-proof identity to CBDCs and new forms of GovTech. Join inventors, artists, musicians, gamers, bankers, policymakers, and rebels for a discussion on how technology is reshaping our world. From our offices in Dubai, this is the UAE Tech Podcast. I firmly believe that technology exists and will be developed that will ensure that, you know, societies continues to develop, that our economies continue to grow, that our standard of living will continue to increase. And that really is the challenge to, well, to me and my profession and to the university at large. Uh, but how do we create those solutions? Because I don't think there will be a willingness to accept lower um, standards of living, uh, not in the first world, certainly, and absolutely not in the in the third world. So uh, an element of accepting that um, we have a huge challenge ahead of, of us. Uh, there are some really interesting technologies already in existence. It's how we deploy them at scale and how they can have a real environmental, positive environmental impact. The UAE is about to host COP28 and both sustainability and technology are clearly on the agenda. This is right now visible across the city, but in particular it's visible on the campus and the roof of Harriet Watt University. We talk with Professor Tyg O'Donovan, Deputy Provost and Head of the Mechanical Process and Energy Engineering Research Institute for insight into energy storage and reliability, solar power, thermal energy, and some of the surprising solutions that are already on the horizon. Today, we're delighted to be hosting Professor Dr. Taig O'Donovan, for a discussion on COP28 and the UAE. Professor is Deputy Provost and Head of Research Institute at Harriet Watt University. Professor, thank you so much for joining us today. Well, thanks for having me, John. So I guess to get started, we should set the context. Um, COP28 is on the horizon here in the UAE. Many industries are talking about it. There's a discussion over innovation. There's a discussion over sustainability. There's a discussion over what role uh, developed and developing economies have to play in the COP28 goals. And I thought for our audience, the best thing might be to do is to begin with summarizing what the COP is and, and what the kind of UAE's engagement is, and then talking a little bit about you and Harriet Watt. Excellent. Uh, thanks, John. I, so COP, obviously, first of all, stands for a conference of parties, and it brings together the world's governments, essentially, um, who are making decisions um, together, collectively, but also how it affects them and their own countries um, to derive, I suppose, good practice, good policy to drive and strive for uh, a more sustainable future. And that's a very holistic way of looking at it. And obviously what they'll be looking at are the details. Uh, what are the new policies? What are the new commitments that these countries can make to, to be more sustainable? And they're setting you know, 2030 goals and 2050 goals um, in that aim. 
Now, obviously, um, government doesn't work alone. It obviously works with society and one of the major stakeholders are industry. So the world's industry, these large um, tech companies, um, finance companies, they also congregate around as part of uh, COP28 in the green zone. And uh, they are offering essentially sustainable solutions, um, ways in which new tech, new business models, new finance um, structures can incentivize and encourage um, and support the ambitions of the world's nations, the world's leaders to, to achieve those sustainable goals. That's a great introduction. And one thing that I noticed, and I think we should talk about early on, is that Harriet Watt has a research institute and that you've been focused on research. And one of the things we've spoken about in previous episodes across all areas of the economy, actually, uh, fintech, manufacturing, additive manufacturing, um, sustainable energy, solar energy, mm -hmm. is the need for research and development, but not just the development, the, the research to begin with. And I know there's a massive policy debate here in the UAE on trying to find ways to invest in, augment, and scale research across different areas. So I wanted to ask you a little bit about what you're up to as head of research. I think it's Institute of Mechanical Process and Energy Engineering, and also kind of Harriet Watts' role in, um, you know, talking about the COP28, why you personally are interested in it, and maybe even a quick introduction to the university itself. Great. Yeah, well, always happy to describe Harriet Watt as a global university, a global institution. And we kind of configure our university into four pillars of uh, research. Uh, we call them global research institutions. Uh, one of them is in health and care engineering. Uh, one of them is in robotics. Uh, one is in earth and marine sciences. And the one that's probably most relevant to today and here is our um, global research institute in net zero. And to explain what that is, um, effectively is a way of bringing together researchers from very many different um, disciplines together to address a societal challenge. So if we take the challenge of today, one of the most pressing ones, of course, is about achieving net zero. It is about a more sustainable future. We do that by bringing together researchers from across our campuses um, to work as technical solutions with our engineers, certainly finance uh, solutions and enterprise and how we bring those together. But even the human factors, the psychology, all of that research comes together towards this common challenge of how do we address net zero. Now, as a global institution, we have our original home in Edinburgh in Scotland, but we also have a campus in Orkney, with one in Gala Shields and the Scottish borders, one here in Dubai, and uh, also one in Malaysia. So we've, we think we're uniquely placed to, um, I suppose, understand the different challenges uh, there are to achieving net zero in very different environments. So my institute that falls within um, those larger constructs is the Institute of Mechanical Process and Energy Engineering. And we focus on things like renewables, um, how do we integrate renewables um, as part of achieving a more sustainable future? Uh, but we also look at uh, carbon capture and sequestration. So how do we take carbon from the environment and store it away where it's uh, doing less harm? And then we also try to look at the different challenges that we have in different parts of the world. So if I gave you an example, uh, here in the UAE, 
um, we have different needs than what we might have in Edinburgh and Scotland. Uh, here we have a need for, well, we generally need uh, cooling of our environment uh, throughout a large part of the year. Uh, we also need to have desalinated water. These are both energy intensive processes. So if we know what our human need is, what our human factors are, then we also look at the renewable energy resource. And in the UAE, uh, we have uh, an abundance of solar. So really the challenge for us is how do we connect those renewable energy resources with the service level need, those human needs? And how do we design systems on different scales to connect that renewable energy with that service level need? So it's the method, it's the approach that we'd find common. However, in different parts of the world, it will have a different solution. So in Edinburgh, we obviously more of a need for heat than we have for cooling, and perhaps more renewable energy in the form of wave, wind, and tidal than solar. But we as an institution then take this technology agnostic approach to driving those solutions by understanding how we connect those resources with those needs. It's amazing the extent to which uh, the research community has become global. And it definitely makes sense trying to um, plug the UAE into those research hubs. Um, and I like the way you, you talked about technology as well. Obviously, the UAE Tech Podcast is a technology podcast. And we sort of have interviewed in the past two groups with regard to the, the whole climate debate. We have one group of technologists that really describe themselves um, as the abundance guys. And their hmm. argument is, I don't know if you've heard this argument, but their argument is we're not interested in over-regulating and prescribing and controlling and limiting. We believe technology can bring us new kinds of energy abundance, new kinds of opportunities, and is a very positive force that can help us proactively, defensively, and much more efficiently fight climate change. And I think I'd say 60% of the technologists we speak to uh, are probably in that camp. It depends on sector. So the finance guys who tend to go to, to Davos and, and some of those other mm -hmm policy groups will be a bit more nuanced. The Bitcoin guys who've been told they're using too much energy are very much in, in this camp. And then we have the second camp. And I'd say they're a bit more suspicious of technology. They're a bit more suspicious of the capitalist designs of the technologists. Mm -hmm. There's a kind of inference that uh, profit will be prioritized over helping the, the environment and the, the, you know reaching sustainable development goals. And they're also uh, a, a significant force in and out of the UN, of course, lots of multilateral institutions. And the research community, I think, often falls within in each of these. But what's so interesting about your work is I know you've got a background in thermal science. You've been looking at solar energy conversion, system design optimization, integration and storage technology. So I think two questions for you. Ron, what do you think of this kind of macro debate about the role of technology globally? Yeah. I, I, for example, you know, sort of ranting a bit here, but I had an interesting one. We had one interesting episode with two of your colleagues, very similar profile to you. Uh, I think it was a, a technology university, very significant one in China. 
And they spoke a lot about the role of Chinese technology in the Belt and Road and how a lot of it was actually focused on renewables and, and energy storage. Mm. And then we've had other podcasts, you know, about Bitcoin's energy and that kind of thing. So it's a big global debate. So on a macro scale, what do you think about the role of technology and, and the balance between using it and also making sure that, that we regulate and we protect uh, the climate? And then second question, which I think we can get we can get to shortly afterwards, is is what are the case studies? I know you're interested in energy storage, reliability and efficiency. Maybe we can get a little bit into that. Yeah, great question. I mean, um, without wanting to put myself in a box, I'm probably with the closer to the sixty percent than the forty. Mm. Um, I, you know, we're trying to for a sustainable future. Um, I firmly believe that technology exists and will be developed that will ensure that you know societies continues to develop that our economies continue to grow that our standard of living will continue to increase and that really is the challenge to well to me and my profession and to the university at large uh, but how do we create those solutions? Because I don't think there will be a willingness to accept lower um, standards of living, uh, not in the first world, certainly, and absolutely not in the in the third world. So uh, an element of accepting that um, we have a huge challenge ahead of, of us. Uh, there are some really interesting technologies already in existence. It's how we deploy them at scale and how they can have a real environmental, positive environmental impact. Um, and just to answer part of the question you you got to there with the Bitcoin and you know the effect of it, um, what we try to do in any design or any solution or any research we, we look at is very much to take this holistic, full circular economy, full life cycle analysis um, of the repercussions or the potential benefits of a design decision. So we're interested in, you know, um, perhaps the embodied energy, the embodied carbon um, in, as part of a solution. So from the extraction of the materials to the transport of those materials to their installation, to their operation and maintenance, to their uh, eventual decommissioning, um, and recycling and that circular economy, all of those factor in our research so that we're not just coming up with this um, in part a technological solution in, in the middle, but we understand the full and hopefully positive impacts of that um, of, of that solution. So and, and that's been of critical importance uh, to us. Otherwise, you're not taking as bigger picture as is necessary, I think, to drive positive change. Uh, an example of that, and sometimes what is seen as an uncomfortable example, would sometimes um, accept a slightly lower efficiency of, say, a conversion device like a, like a solar panel uh, in favor of a more positive outcome, that it, it would displace um, more carbon over its lifetime than something that perhaps is more efficient, but you know doesn't last as long or cost too much. So. Um, if only it was a singular technological, how does it work solution, uh, perhaps our challenge would be a little bit easier. Uh, but to weigh up these multiple variables that go into a design decision and the eventual um, offering of a, of a solution, you need to think about very holistically on its full environmental impact. Yes, true. I mean, that's one thing we've seen on, on several episodes. There are multiple variables. And sometimes what we thought the discussion was 
was actually far more complex and there were far more moving parts to it and there were far more impacts to assess in some of these situations than we were originally aware. Um, I know there is a big debate on energy storage. There's a lot of interest mm -hmm. in this space. I think our audience will be incredibly interested in that area as well. So I know that's something you're interested in. What are some of the recent advancements in reliability and efficiency that you've been looking at and you think are viable? Yeah, so uh, there's, there's some significant challenges. We've, we've probably observed this very much in the, you know, um, on a day-to-day -day kind of commercial side. We see batteries now um, forming part of our daily lives. You've probably noticed that your phone battery will last a bit longer than it did a few years ago. Um, and it, it charges quicker and it discharges quite quickly as well as these devices are becoming more powerful. So the on a very fundamental materials um, level, there's a lot of um, research that's going into extending life uh, exchanging the uh, sorry um increasing the rate at which you can charge and discharge uh, devices and particularly this has been driven of course by electric vehicles and the demand for more electric vehicles and uh, making sure they can last for longer they can go longer journeys and that they can charge quickly so there's a lot of advancement um on that and i actually look forward to uh, you know the next few years where evs pay um, more of a, a contribution to storage generally on our grids and potentially even a little bit of trading of energy um, in and out of, of a battery that would be owned on an individual or on a domestic level. Uh, but there's a lot of other um, energy storage uh, out there. Um, you'll hear in the UAE, there's a lot of thermal energy storage. So whether it's molten salt storage um, associated with large scale centralized um, uh solar concentrated solar in or whether it's in concrete um these are high temperature thermal energy storage which would eventually uh, power a steam cycle that would create energy in what would have been a more traditional way by burning gas or coal um in in the past so similar cycles similar technology just storing the energy as heat for for later use so there's a lot of innovation um, going on there um it goes together with how we balance grids, of course, and how we um, get energy on demand, because one of the obviously biggest challenges with renewables is their intermittency and uh, creating and incentivizing and developing tech um, to accommodate all of that is is very much a focus here. Yeah, we actually had uh, uh, somewhat bizarre because it was a little bit outside of our scope, but we had an episode with Sharaf DG Solar, mm -hmm. where we were yeah. given a kind of five minute uh, 101 expert analysis of how energy grids work. It was, it was yeah. actually great. It was one of the, the best parts of the episode, but Maybe. you know, we kind of had the life cycle of how energy flows through the UAE and the different ways it, mm -hmm. it gets made um, to, you know, it, it it explained a lot, and I think we even got into to nuclear at one point. Yeah. I wanted to ask a little bit about what Harriet Watt University um, locally and globally is doing mm. in regard to its renewable energy initiatives and, and how this kind of connects in to the COP. Oh, great. So um, Harriet Watt, obviously, with its Global Research Institute in, in Net Zero Renewables forms a significant part of of that you know um, initiative 
recently, we've uh, installed a renewable energy test site on the roof of our of our new building here in Knowledge Park. Nice. Yeah, it's a, it's great to see it in operation now. We've got so many different technologies on that roof. Um, some of them look quite similar, but we have biofacial solar, for example, and we have robots that are cleaning the panels. And uh, we're really looking at digitally twinning these. So we're becoming more familiar with the, um, the environmental factors that affect their performance. So the fact that sometimes, um, you know, there's dust on the panels, uh, you know, at what stage is it worth cleaning them? Um, how do you make that economically viable? And we digitally twin all of this against, uh, you know, weather data that we accumulate on a minute by minute basis. So it's really insightful. It gives us really good um, overview of how we um, generate energy first. But part of our solar energy research here is also about systems. Um, so we're um, generating small energy systems now. Um, one, for example, is a green, uh, green uh, hydrogen demonstrator. So we're connecting with uh, hydrogen electrolyzer, and then we're trying to manage that, compress it and store it, and then use it for different applications. Uh, we're installing some green plugs in our energy labs as well. So these are powered 100% from the solar test site. And then we get to do a little bit of our own demand management on our own little microgrid and how we direct energy and control it and see how people use it in a very optimal way. So it really becomes this kind of living laboratory about how people interact with renewables. And at some stage, I'm sure we're going to get into that kind of human factors. How do we then encourage good behavior, which all of this becomes small little demonstrators for our small scale demonstrators for potential large scale operation and deployment, uh, because that can effectively encouraging behavior is what you becomes policy, right? So um, that's that's how we like to work with um, with renewables. That's a pretty interesting case study. Um, I hope I get to check out that roof one day. I've I've been a lot uh, around a lot of universities all over the world, and it's funny how times are changing and things are moving so fast. Usually, you know, they invite you around the grounds or see mm. facilities and. You guys clearly have the, the one of the coolest roofs in Dubai, so <laughs> de definitely, definitely sounds like a, a whole kind of a little experiment up there. Um, Absolutely, it's been it's been used actually to um, kind of complement some of our research in the Edinburgh campus. So. Um, we're, we're actually developing a lot of solar thermal technology. So, you know, generating hot water. Now, there's not actually a need for that here in the UAE so much, uh, but we developed the technology here. You know, we optimize the performance of that solar thermal panel, and then we deploy it onto our solar test site in Edinburgh as well. And we see how does it work over a TMY, a typical meteorological year. It's, you know, um, overproduces heat maybe in the summer, not enough in the winter. But so these kind of, um, this, global aspect of our university has really worked to our advantage in in developing new technology and also in supporting companies who are we, we do a lot of our development in partnership with um either new innovators or more established um multinationals that's uh yeah it's a really interesting connection i wonder if there's any way of um at some point, I think the blockchain guys will get involved and they'll be wondering yes. whether you can sell, you know, your solar credits in Dubai and then transfer them to Edinburgh 
The problem being, of course, in the UK, we never get any any sunshine. So um, ah, now I'm going to have to take you up on some oh, of really? that. Because I, I, I always see so, solar panels and feel sorry for them. And I heard this urban myth, but it was on Twitter, yeah. to be fair. So it's probably not um, accurate that, you know, solar, solar panel firms in the UK were struggling because it was never sunny. But that just might have been a meme. So I stand, I look forward to being corrected on that. Well, let me start by saying it's not as simple as that. You're right. Resource is a key part of energy generation. I, I'll accept that part. Um, however, we have longer days in the summer months, when it, um, so that, that works to the advantage. Um, also, solar panels convert energy at a higher efficiency when they're colder. So and they operate at a much lower temperature in the UK. In fact, every 10 degrees that you increase the temperature, the efficiency, conversion efficiency, generally drops by about 1%. Wow. And then the third factor that you would have with solar is um, is cleaning them. Now, how do I put this? We have self-cleaning panels in the <laughs> UK. I think you know what I mean by that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, whereas here, um, because they accumulate dust on, uh, you know, so there's another challenge. And that's, again, it speaks to our research and our approach to how do we integrate renewables to societal needs? Because the challenge here is not the resource. The challenge here is how do we get to them to operate at a very high efficiency? And when they dust up, the efficiency can drop quite significantly. So... So there are challenges in different environments. Let me just leave it at that. But there is definitely opportunities in the UK for solar also. Yeah, that's super interesting, particularly the the, the heat uh, point and the, the dust point. Mm. Um, I wanted to ask you, because it seems obligatory for every episode we do now to, to bring the, the term artificial intelligence in there. And um, yeah. I think there's some fatigue creeping in. But what? how are these technologies like AI... Um, like data analytics, which can mm. be fed into an AI. What are the kind of applications that you're looking at in regard to energy production? And do you think AI will be a big part of the wider discussion at COP this year? So no doubt, to answer your second question first, no doubt AI will be a hot topic of discussion. <laughs> like you say, it is this obligatory question. Everybody's looking at this exciting new technology and see how it can be best used um, to drive forward their own agenda and trying to create opportunity um, and to do things quicker. And I think that is one of the major benefits of, of AI. Um, in the renewable sector, I, I see two um, particular applications for, for AI. The first is actually in development, um, because I spoke earlier about how multifactorial design is, and how, you know, especially with complex systems and systems that you want to integrate and, and optimize. Any design or anything that has a lot of factors that are difficult to correlate or to bring together and understand how they directly affect each other. There's room for AI there to really accelerate the optimization and design and development of new systems. So and that that's, you know, that's across the board. That isn't unique to renewables, but of course, renewables that also factors in intermittency of supply and changing weather conditions and different locations, it becomes particularly powerful for renewables in that sense. Uh, the other, of course, is is how systems actually operate when they're when they're designed and in place, and and potentially how they integrate with the finance of markets and trading and uh, and uh, storage and, and and all of that. That really empowering 
um, thing. And we've been working in the past, certainly earlier, uh, with the Internet of Things connecting up systems so they um, through the cloud. So systems were able to identify how one was working better than another and then to change its control algorithm to better uh, optimize, to, you know, to, to kind of follow in that kind of swarm technology way, um, best practice and to learn from each other and to improve their overall performance. So it's an exciting time uh, to, to develop new uh, renewable solutions and particularly to maximize their potential. Uh, that's how I see AI, uh, you know, contributing to the challenges that we're facing at the moment. Yeah, and certainly in in agriculture and food tech, I think in future mm -hmm. there's going to be an interesting episode to be had on AI and robotics and micro robotics and, and micro drones and and that kind of thing. Um, I'm not sure if we're quite there yet, but but it seems to be on the horizon. Um, Professor, we're coming to the end of our discussion. So thank you so much for your time today. Absolute pleasure to have you on the podcast and to have Harriet Watt on the podcast too. It's great to have a university in the series and, and to talk about uh, research in the UAE and globally. And um, all the best for COP28. Thank you very much, John. We're very much looking forward to, to COP and to hosting the discussion here on our campus as well on our Climate Hub. All the best. Thanks, Professor. Bye. Thank you. Sponsor information. The UAE Tech Podcast is distributed by Albuaba Business free of charge. To sponsor a single episode or a series of themed episodes, please contact our editorial team or download a sponsorship press pack. Sponsors receive an article on Albuaba Business, syndication distribution on Albuaba Syndicate, email direct marketing across the region, and brand inclusion across all podcast marketing design, audio, and video formats. Albuaba is not a PR company, and we do retain editorial discretion and quality control as an independent publisher. Companies looking to support a dialogue on technological transformation in the UAE are encouraged to contact our team.